What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Unlockables podcast, the story of video games, the people who play them, and the memories made along the way. As always, I am your host, Eric, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in wherever, whenever, in time and space you might be located. It means so much to me that you spend a little bit of your hard-earned time listening to the show each and every week, whether it is your first time, your millionth time, whenever. Uh, it means so much to me that you come and listen to what I have to say. So thank you. Thank you very much. Now, you probably see by the title of the episode, one of my stranger title name episodes for sure. It is the first annual Unlockables Music Festival slash Country Jamboree slash uh, Burning Man slash whatever you want to call it. But uh, today we are going to be talking about music in video games, specifically some of my personal favorite tracks. And while this might seem a little bit out of place for, for my show here, everybody knows that each and every episode I try to highlight songs from guests that are on the show. Uh, they come on and they tell stories about their favorite video games and I try to incorporate music into the into the breaks, into the episodes. It is actually one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast, selecting music for the different episodes every single week. It's cool to get to hear some of my old favorites, some that I didn't actually know about before. And I think that's just a really awesome way to kind of make each guest appearance their own on the show to incorporate music from some of the guests favorite video games and sometimes too when i do solo episodes i'll do some of my favorite music or like the kingdom hearts episodes i'll feature a lot of music from the specific game i'm talking about uh, mega man we just did last week and i featured like eight or nine tracks from the incredible uh, mega man x soundtrack so for this particular episode i just wanted to highlight some of my favorite pieces of music because i think that music is a lot of people's favorite part of video games. It is certainly one of my favorite parts of, of playing video games is getting to hear all the different scores, compositions, tracks that get included throughout the adventure of playing a video game. And I think music is not just there to add kind of atmosphere, kind of add noise for when things are silent. I think that music is actually also a really important tool of storytelling. And the big part of my podcast is the story of video games and people's stories and the stories that video games try to tell us and the emotional responses that they elicit. So for that reason, I wanted to just kind of do a music episode that featured a bunch of pieces of really great music. I have six or seven examples of songs that I really do enjoy. Some of them have a little bit more of an emotional depth and meaning as connected to the video game story aspect. Uh, some of them I just really like. I think they're really awesome songs. Uh, some of them just elicit really strong memories of nostalgia in my brain. So uh, I have like six or seven pieces of music here that I'm going to talk about specifically. I have some history on some of them, uh, some of them from really famous composers, some of them from, from lesser known composers, uh, games that are really popular, games that are not as popular. And then I put out a call late last night because I was running out of ideas for an episode this week. And I put out a call last night to the listening audience, to my fellow podcast friends, to my fellow uh, friends on Twitter, on Instagram, and said, what is a song, a music track, a piece of music from a video game soundtrack that you would put up against any other soundtrack or that you would say is like your favorite or one of your favorite pieces of music? And I was expecting to get some responses because it was really late at night when I decided to do this and I was running out of time and panicking. Man, if you really want just such a disorganized show, you're definitely at the right place in Lockables, figuring out shit literally the day before they record. But uh, I put out the call and was blown away by the response, so much so that I spent uh, the first couple hours of this morning that I'm recording putting together the list and just doing research on some of these different songs and trying to figure out how long this episode is actually going to be now. 
because I got so many responses. I mean, I must have really hit a chord, no pun intended, with people asking for their favorite video game music because I know it's such an important part. And I was really excited to see the response to the question and just getting to listen to so many different tracks that I'd either had a lot of experience with or never heard before and getting introduced to games that I haven't played yet or games that I haven't played in a while. I think that was really cool. So thank you guys. Everybody that responded, we'll go through everybody one at a time in your responses and we'll play clips from the the, the songs that you chose. I think it's going to be really great. Most of this episode hopefully is going to be listening to music and not me talking because anytime I'm not talking, that's the best part of the episode for sure. Thank you so much to everybody who wrote in, who responded. It, it really did mean a lot to me and we'll get to that in the second half of the show. Now, let's get going and I'm going to talk about some of my favorite pieces of music that I really like and then we'll dive into the listener responses. Without further ado... The first annual Unlockables Music Festival slash Jamboree. first piece of music that you heard is from my stated favorite game of all time, Final Fantasy IX. And of course, this track occurs fairly early in the story of Final Fantasy IX. It is Vamo a la Flamenco. And this is one of the more unique tracks on the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack. It is not so much story reasons for this one, but I just think out of all of the tracks on Final Fantasy IX, one good thing that the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack does it it uses a bunch of different type of musical styles and inspirations to build this incredible soundtrack to this world that the team over at Square created. Of course, helmed by legendary, legendary composer Nobuo Uematsu, who lives in my head rent-free every single day because I just love the works that he created so much. Uematsu, who was originally asked to compose maybe eight to ten tracks for this game. They're going to have some other people kick in some music tracks because after all, Final Fantasy IX was supposed to be a celebration of the entire series before X came out and Final Fantasy went in a new direction, which I think Final Fantasy IX achieves uh, in spades as being an homage to the first eight games that came before it. So Uematsu was asked to pitch in eight to ten tracks a battle theme, kind of a sad theme, an overworld theme. And he just decided, nah, fuck it. I'm going to contribute like 140 to 160 tracks, which I think only 120 made it in the game. So talk about just being so inspired, going above and beyond the call of duty. And just he's saying, ah, nah, I'm just going to rock out this whole soundtrack. That's fine. Uh, but he used a lot of medieval inspirations from Europe. I believe the team even went to Europe to get inspiration for Final Fantasy IX. 
having a little bit more of a medieval theme matched with this like emerging steampunk kind of technology uh, feel to the world overall. And Vamo al Flamenco is one of the places where this theme can, this kind of inspiration can definitely be felt. The beginning story I'll kind of gloss over very quickly for Final Fantasy IX is a gang of thieves called Tantalus, which Zidane is a part of, is going to kidnap Princess Garnet. They've been contracted to do so. They fly into Alexandria on a theater ship under the guise of performing actors, traveling performing actors. And they're going to put on the most popular play uh, of the era called I Want to Be Your Canary. So the thieves obviously can have to act very well. They all play their part, different parts in the in the story as they come up. And one of the parts that you take part in uh, is a minigame sword fight with Blank between Blank and Zidane. Uh, where you have to copy the button inputs that Blank is shouting out while you're sword fighting in front of the crowd. And the better you do this, the more impressed the crowd will be and the more uh, money you will get. And if you impress all 100 nobles and the queen, you get the maximum amount of money. I'm not sure if you get another item with that, but uh, that is the goal to impress 100 out of 100 nobles and to impress the queen as well. Uh, it's a damn fun mini game to play too. Easy to grasp, uh, difficult to master, especially when you're in the flow. But the track that plays during this mini game is Famo a la Flamenco. A one time, the only, this is the only place in this game that this track appears. And this track is incredible. The fact that Uematsu composed such a complex track with a flamenco inspiration from Spain for a mini game that gets played once and never again. That could just be a quick throwaway moment during the game. You're not required to get as many nobles to like it as you can. You can just do it once and it just gives you a little bit of extra money. In the long run, it doesn't really affect the game at all. The fact that he composed such a brilliant track for such a simple minigame uh, just kind of absolutely blows my mind. And the purpose of this is to cause a distraction so that the crowd is focused is into the play so that Zidane and Blank can exit stage left, sneak into the castle, and kidnap the princess while the play is going on. I think... Sets up an absolutely incredible, whimsical adventure that you're about to be set off in Final Fantasy IX. I actually found a little bit of background knowledge on this particular track. Uh, Vamo a la Flamenco is a depiction of Vamos a la Flamenco, which is a Spanish expression meaning freely let's go flamenco. And that is a common idiom in southern Spain. Refer to a tune's Spanish feel. Uh, the guitar in this type of music is called a flamenco, obviously. Guitar or guitarra flamenco. And guitarist at these dance parties is called a flamenco or flamenca. Saying vamos a flamenco, guests are asking the guitarist to speed up the tempo or beat. And uh, this specific song, and I'm just, I, I copied and pasted this from like the Final Fantasy IX wiki, which is incredibly in-depth for this song specifically. And Rick, if you're listening, Rick and Ben, please tell me what all these things mean because there are some crazy, I haven't taken any kind of music education since high school, even though I was heavily involved in music in grade school and high school, so... Uh, hang on to this one. Vamo a Flamenco includes its harmonic center, the corporate progression of a famous flamenco guitar musical theme, La Malanguena, and shares its diatonic scale of E minor. The main theme is taken from the traditional tune La Folia, which, with its distinctive flattened leading note triad in the fourth bar, G major triad in the A minor of Vamo a Flamenco. La Folia can be heard in several other tracks in Final Fantasy IX, including the Black Mage Village and Vivi's theme, which I did look up the La Folia track and these two other themes, and you can definitely hear it, which is really, really cool. So yeah, a little bit of just kind of music theory stuff there about the way this track was composed. I just thought that was interesting. Throw it in there. Make my show sound smarter than it actually is. Notable, just for the Final Fantasy IX soundtrack overall, this would be the last 
soundtrack that Uematsu ever worked on fully by himself for the Final Fantasy series. He's come back and contributed and, and assisted in the creation of other Final Fantasy soundtracks, but this was really like his last, his magnum opus for all the work that, for like a thing, project that he took on solely by himself. And he's on record saying it's probably his favorite work of art ever out of everything that he's ever done. Following closely in that theme, I'm actually picking another song from Final Fantasy IX as my second song. And this is a stark departure from the one I just picked in Vamos a Flamenco. Uh, this one is Not Alone from Final Fantasy IX. Alone is a drastically different style, a drastically different tone and feel from Vamo Ala Flamenco, as I just mentioned before the song played. Uh, a more serious entry from the FF9 side. The emotions in this song hit really, really hard. Let me just kind of lay the groundwork for this one. So I, I think this is disc three, probably this would be on if you're playing on the PS1 version, but this is fairly late in the story. And one of the things about the main character Zidane is for his personal journey in Final Fantasy IX, uh, while he's been helping and comforting and helping all of his friends through their own personal journeys and their personal growth, in the back of Zidane's mind, he's always been looking for a place of belonging. He's been looking for the place where he came from, basically. He grew up an orphan. He was taken in by Tantalus, taken in by Baku. Uh, the only thing he can remember from his very early childhood is a bright, blinding blue light. And when Zidane and company travel to Terra, which is the alternate planet to their home world, Gaia, uh, it is here that Zidane learns his true purpose is that he is actually uh, native to the planet of Terra. And the planet's leader, Garland, tells him that Zidane is what is called as a genome, a race of created beings meant to house the souls of the Terrans, not to get super far into the plot of Final Fantasy IX, but, and essentially... Zidane was designed as he was supposed to be an angel of death, which meant that he was supposed to go to Gaia and cause war, cause destruction, cause destabilization so that 
the countries would kill each other, they would weaken, uh, it would disrupt the cycle of souls of birth and rebirth and reincarnation and all that shit. Classic Final Fantasy stuff. And so that eventually Garland could enact his master plan, infusing the planet Terra with the planet Gaia because the planet Terra was about to collapse slash disappear slash explode, something like that. I'm oversimplifying it greatly. But Zidane finds out that his true purpose is destruction and death, which is a shocking revelation to the character of Zidane, who up until this point has been a very positive, optimistic person who, despite being mischievous, despite being a bit of a womanizer, has always had a pretty strong moral compass in doing the right thing and trying to help others and help uh, his friends, his party members. The fact that Zidane, ever the optimist, hears this news, it crushes him completely. He's been searching for his home. He's been searching for answers to his past. So to find out that this was where he came from and this was his intended purpose in life absolutely crushes him. Absolutely crushes him. He wakes up and he absentmindedly wanders the halls of Pandemonium, which is Garland's home. He's fighting monsters by himself. He's being so rough on himself, like saying his life doesn't matter. He's pushing away all of his friends as he wanders through Pandemonium. He's engaging in battles. And this is the track that plays while he's engaging in these battles uh, single handedly against monsters that he doesn't have a chance against. And uh, in each battle, uh, these are kind of scripted sequence battles as cutscenes play out. A, a friend or, or a couple party members will show up to help him and be like, Zidane, like we're with you. You've been there for us. We're going to be there and help you through through this that that you're experiencing. And he keeps pushing them away, telling them to get lost, uh, that he doesn't need them. They shouldn't care about him because this is who he is. And it isn't until the last fight where Garnet shows up and, and saves his life and kind of shakes him out of his, his depression, uh, you know, that he begins to realize that the circumstances of his existence aren't going to define who he is. His friends constantly remind him of all the lessons that he taught them throughout this journey. And he kind of realizes that, yeah, I was supposed to be this terrible thing, but I'm not. That's not who I am. It doesn't matter where I came from or what my design purpose was. This is my life now. These are the people that I love now. And I think it's it's one of my favorite tracks, probably top two, top three in the game for sure, because it's just such a strong, powerful moment. Uh, similarly to how just seeing such a positive character in Zidane sink to such depths to go to come so low after having been positive for the whole game. It's very similar in the way that uh, Sora from Kingdom Hearts is just such a beacon of hope and positivity that whenever he gets to a point where he's really low, he's angry, he's depressed, he's sad, him showing any other emotion than what you've seen for a majority of the game, it's it's very striking. Not alone, Final Fantasy IX, one of the most brilliant tracks on that. Again, Nobuo Uematsu doing wonders, doing wonders for Final Fantasy series. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, go live, give this one a listen. If you're feeling sad, this is definitely a sad boy song for sure. It's sad but inspiring at the same time. It's very cool. Next up, we have a lesser known track from my favorite franchise, my favorite series of all time, the franchise that is the focus of Guiding Keys. It is, of course, Kingdom Hearts. And we're choosing a track from one of the lesser known entries. Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. This entry is called Rinsler Recompiled.
as I said, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance, not to spoil too many thoughts for guiding keys, but uh, Dream Drop Distance is not one of the more highly regarded entries in the title. It's not one of the more highly regarded entries in the series just because of its introduction of time travel bullshit. And this is where the plot really starts to go off the rails, in my opinion, is Dream Drop Distance. And then everything that comes after it is just kind of a insane fever dream where everybody is everybody and everybody is Xehanort and it's kind of insane. Uh, but I think that in keeping with the rich tradition, I think the soundtrack of Dream Drop Distance is very strong. Yoko Shimomura being the brilliant composer for a majority of all the songs in the entire Kingdom Hearts series absolutely nails every single track for I, there isn't I'd be hard pressed to find a bad track in the Kingdom Hearts series. That might just be my personal bias thing, but uh, she nails the feel of every track that she she writes and the track perfectly matches the situation. The reason I picked Rinsler Recompiled is because out of all of the songs, all of the tracks in the Kingdom Hearts series, uh, Rinsler Recompiled is unique. So just to give you a little bit of a background series, uh, this track takes place in the, the Space Paranoids, the Tron world of Kingdom Hearts. In Kingdom Hearts 2, Sora travels into the computer, into the Tron world, and makes friends with the titular character, Tron. They become pretty close friends. Sora helps Tron free the computer from the AI that is controlling it so they can have access to Ansem's computer, blah, 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 all this stuff, whatever. And they become pretty close friends. One of Sora's closer friends, I would say, uh, from the Disney characters that he makes. I'm not going to go in depth in the plot of Dream Drop Distance, but they go back to the Tron world in Dream Drop Distance for reasons that I'll elaborate on in Guiding Keys in 10 years when we get to Dream Drop Distance. But we go back there and the setting for this our, the setting for our trip this time is the the new the newer Tron movie, which I believe is Tron Legacy, which I believe has, uh, you know, the older Jeff Bridges in it. And so when Sora returns to to Tron's world, Sora finds that his friend Tron has been reprogrammed by the new AI that runs the computer system that basically took over called Clue, CLU, which for Tron, I'm not going to try and explain the, the plot of Tron either, but Tron has basically been reprogrammed uh, to be Clue's enforcer because Tron is the most capable, the strongest, quote unquote, program person in the computer world. And uh, he's reprogrammed into this enforcer called Rinsler. And throughout Sora's time there, he keeps trying to reach his friend. Rinsler, a.k.a. Tron, seems to elicit no response, no emotional connection, no emotional attachment. Uh, Clue telling him that he's a program. Tron, Tron can be whatever. Clue wants him to be. Of course, the boss fight for this section of the game is against Rinsler, is against Tron, your old friend. And it gets its own unique boss theme, which I think is really unique in the series because normally unique boss themes are saved only for Xehanort slash Organization 13 fights or very, very, very specific moments in the series. Like another one we'll be talking about in just a second, uh, the fight with Roxas in Kingdom Hearts 2. Most other boss fights that end the worlds, or that are like the conclusion of the world that you're in, have like a generic boss theme, like one of three generic boss themes that they kind of cycle through, uh, depending on what best fits the theme slash situation. The Rinsler fight gets its own boss theme, and I think that's really cool. I think... Deciding to give this fight specifically its own unique boss theme really heightens the emotional status of this fight 
And another thing I love is boss fights. I think boss fights are the absolute bomb.com. I think boss fights are a super cool way to tell story in video games. And that might be a future episode of how boss fights communicate story to us in video games. I think that's a really awesome. But this specifically, this boss fight combined with this track uh, really tells this incredible story of Sora fighting his friend, not really wanting to, but knowing he has to do what has to be done. And throughout this fight, still trying to reach his friend, remind him of who he is. The fight concludes. The floor beneath them pretty much cracks and gives way. Uh, Rinsler falls into it. Sora goes to try and grab him and save him, but can't. But he can't in time. And he calls out to Tron. And as Tron's falling, it seems like Tron recognizes that that is who Sora is. That's his friend. He he. Despite his programming that has fucked with his memories, he just fought his friend, and and he's happy to see his friend again, despite the fact that he's falling. And that's that's really kind of where that ends up we don't really get any more closure or information on the whole tron story really uh, apart from that we don't really see like a happy reunion reunion or anything i just think it's really cool that that moment gets its own boss fight and it's such a really powerful moment it's one of the best boss tracks one of the best tracks in the dream drop distance catalog uh one of probably like one of my top 10 kingdom hearts tracks of all time and there are hundreds of them so yeah rinsler recompiled very, very, very cool. As I alluded to a couple seconds ago, the next track is also a Yoko Shimomura Kingdom Hearts track. It is from Kingdom Hearts 2 Final Mix and it is appropriately titled The Other Promise. can i say about this track i'll just come out and say it the other promise specifically from kingdom hearts 2 final mix is my favorite track in the entire series out of all of them i think it's such a powerful track and i'll explain why because uh, throughout kingdom hearts and again i'm not going to go into too much because we're going to break all this down in guiding keys but uh the beginning of Kingdom Hearts 2 is 
somewhat infamous for not having you play as Sora, having you play as an alternate character called Roxas. And the tutorial part of this grinds on for about two hours, the, the moments you have to play with Roxas. Uh, it, it can be a little annoying, but I'll argue that in in the episode about Kingdom Hearts 2, uh, for Guiding Keys, I'll argue that I actually think this tutorial is incredibly brilliant. And at the end of this tutorial, we find out that uh, Roxas is actually Sora's nobody, if you remember from the earlier Kingdom Hearts episodes, and nobody is a person who does not possess a heart but still uh, is alive. And based on that definition and the definition established in the universe, they don't technically exist. They are between the light and darkness. They are a non-being, essentially. And at the end of this tutorial, Roxas reunites with Sora, what somewhat hesitantly, because Sora is sleeping after the events of Chain of Memories, which we'll go into. And so we as the player know that Roxas is Sora's nobody, but Sora being ever oblivious does not know this throughout the entirety of most of the game Sora does not know that Roxas is his nobody despite the fact that for story reasons members of the organization and people keep referring to Sora as Roxas and they seem familiar with Sora despite the fact that they don't actually know him so throughout this story when people are referring to Sora as Roxas and Sora's just brushing them off you really get kind of these little tinges of pain You're just like Sora buddy if you only knew what happened and what the what the story was with why people are calling you Roxas? Like you wouldn't know. This story beat culminates when you get to the final level of the game. It's the world that never was, the world of the organization, the world of the nobodies, a world that technically wasn't supposed to ever exist. We'll get into that existential crisis in the episode. And you arrive at the the skyscraper in the city of the of the world that never was, which is a very iconic location. It was in the secret movie at the end of one. It's in 358 over two days. A lot of stuff happens. There's a lot of significance around the skyscraper. And it is here a place that Roxas has so much memory attached to that it triggers his memories inside of Sora's heart. And this triggers a cutscene where everything freezes and Sora is dragged into that familiar black abyss with the stained glass, emphasizing that this is a struggle that is occurring inside of Sora's own heart. And basically what happens is Roxas confronts Sora with his organization hood on. So Sora doesn't exactly know who it is, but he Roxas pulls out his keyblades and confronts Sora in the original release of Kingdom Hearts 2. This takes place as just a cutscene with Roxas's theme playing in the background in the final mix version of Kingdom Hearts 2. This is a playable boss fight. It is my favorite boss fight in the entire series. It is an incredible boss fight, incredibly challenging. One last check to see if you're ready to face the end of the game because Roxas is a powerful, powerful motherfucker. He is fast. He has two keyblades. He shoots out beams of light. He does a lot of damage. He has devastating combos and the other promise is the song that plays during this boss fight. And it is, starts off with the familiar rendition of Roxas's theme. But Yoko Shimomura adds so many more orchestra components behind it and builds it into this incredibly sorrowful, powerful, epic theme that perfectly encapsulates Roxas's struggle throughout the series and captures just how sad this moment is actually is it's such a powerful track and again the sadness of this moment is multiplied because throughout this entire game Sora doesn't have any idea who Roxas is or what happens to him but you the player know who Roxas is because you played him 
So really, this is just the emotional crux of the of this story of Sora and Roxas that the game has been telling and alluding to. After you beat Roxas in the fight, a cutscene occurs that shows the rest of their fight. It's actually a very cinematic cutscene uh, where Roxas actually bests Sora, defeats Sora, knocks the Keyblade out of his hand. One of the very few times in the series that this occurs, Sora is always shown as a very competent fighter, uh, able to overcome most anybody who challenges him. Uh, Roxas defeats him and disarms him and pins his Keyblade against the ground. Well, an oversight on Roxas' part is that Sora can recall the Keyblade to him at any time he desires, and it'll appear in his hands in a flash of light. So he does this and slashes Roxas and defeats him. And before Roxas disappears, finally accepting his, his fate that he's meant to be a part of Sora, his hood comes off and Sora sees him for the first time, and he just tells Sora, you make a good other. You make a good person that actually does have a heart. And it's just such an incredible moment in the story of Kingdom Hearts. It's so, so incredible. And we'll get to that when we get to Guiding Keys. But this track is so powerful. There's so much instrumentation that gets added to Roxas's theme. The piano player specifically, if you listen to this track and just listen to the piano, goes so hard. This I can't imagine how difficult this piano piece was to write and to play with how fast the ascending and descending notes go while the theme builds to its final conclusion. It's absolutely incredible. The Other Promise, my favorite Kingdom Hearts track, probably top three favorite tracks in any video game ever. Definitely go give it a listen. We're going to switch it up here a little bit. The next track I'm picking doesn't really have as strong nostalgia or, or video game story elements to it, but I just love this song because I think it goes really hard. And when I was picking a short list of songs to kind of build this episode around, this was one of them. And I'm referring to the song Counterattack from Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Like I said, I don't think this one carries as much emotional weight, but goddamn, this song goes incredibly hard. One of the things that I really, really hate about Xenoblade Chronicles 2, having spent over 100 hours playing this game, is it has a really, really, really bad habit of giving you these boss fights and you 
winning the boss fight, defeating the boss, but then the boss or character just goes on to defeat you in the cutscene. I think this is useful in some games in some instances to show that no matter how hard you struggle, the boss is still going to defeat you. But Xenoblade Chronicles 2 does it so many times that it's just like, what is the point of me even doing anything? (laughs) It doesn't matter. Uh, But one of the side effects of this winning in the boss fight, losing in the cutscene trope that XC2 seems to be stuck in is afterwards, you normally get this track, Counterattack, which you know after the first time hearing this, when you hear this epic song start to come in, the guitars start to swell, that the tide of battle is going to turn in the cutscene and you are going to be treated to an absolutely uh, incredible action-packed sequence that is about to play out before you. Uh, it, it occurs so, so many times in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 where you lose the battle uh, or you win the battle, you get your ass handed to you in the cutscene and then uh, somebody inevitably reaches a new echelon of power, which is the most anime thing. It's like when you need it most, somebody will step up and achieve a more powerful form than they've ever had before. And this is true with uh, Rex and Pyra. Every time Rex and Pyra seem like they're in absolutely the worst situation it could possibly be, uh, Pyra evolves, unlocks more of her power, uh, unlocks Mithra, and they just are able to come out of the situation. And like I said, while I have a problem with this particular style of storytelling, uh, we get this awesome track counterattack because of it. Because when this track comes on, uh, it goes hard and the moments are awesome. And I listen to this song to this day. It is on my it's on my gym playlist uh, once every three to four weeks that I actually get to the gym. And it man, it's so good. Just just listen to it. It's great. Xenoblade Chronicles 2 again got issues with it, but God damn, does it boast an incredible soundtrack and the story for for its most part is, is pretty sound. Second to last song. That we'll be featuring before getting the listener responses. This one's pure nostalgia. It has no story purpose, but it is a pick that I made based on a nostalgia and my emotions of my childhood alone. And if you've talked to me, you know that one of my favorite games of all time is the Advance Wars series of games. So, of course, I had to pick a song from Advance Wars, and it is, of course, Andy's theme. Like I said, this is not any kind of story or emotional kind of pick here. This is purely nostalgia, but 
the Advance Wars series has some incredible music in it, and it has to because uh, the way Advance Wars plays, all of the music is themed around very short turn cycles. So each CO in the game, which is a character that you pick to play and it affects the way you play the game, has their own unique theme that is about a minute to a minute and a half long. The challenge for this is that uh, when you pick that CEO, that is the only music you're going to hear during your turn during the game. And then you'll hear the opposing CEO's theme uh, when they take their turn. So the challenge here is, and this is, and this is similar to my thoughts on boss battle themes or themes that repeat a lot, is the intelligence systems had to compose music that was about a minute to a minute and a half long that you would not get sick of hearing over and over and over and over and over and over for days, weeks, months, however long you decided to play the game for, uh, through some matches that could take a very, very long time, sometimes uh, as short as 10 minutes, sometimes up to an hour, depending on how long the missions took. Uh, this is not an easy thing to do because uh, if you mess up and you say something is like, oh yeah, this is this won't annoy people and it annoys people, it, it's out in the game and it's going to annoy them forever. So I think Intelligent Systems did a really, really good job of composing these CO themes, these minute and a half long uh, bite-sized pieces of music that repeat over and over and over again to be really catchy and not annoying. And I love every single CO theme in Advanced Wars. I think the CO themes perfectly encapsulate what that CO, what that commander is, is all about and communicates to you musically what their personality is because... There's not so much dialogue in this game. There's not a lot of like heavy character story moments. A lot of the characters are really one dimensional, but the CO theme can tell you everything you need to know about that character. Uh, one of the themes I didn't pick, for example, Grit's theme is a very kind of slow, meandering, uh, Southern style, like twangy banjo and guitar type of theme. And his characteristics in the game is, is a very laid back, slow moving commander uh, he, his specialty is indirect units, so he's very laid back, very slow moving, uh, very calm, collected, saying, eh, you know, don't need to get so worked up about things. I think Andy's theme is perfect for this pick because Andy is the CEO that you'll spend the most time with in the first Advance Wars game and some of the some of Advance Wars 2. You can spend a lot more time with different COs in Advance Wars 2, but Andy is the game Andy is the CEO that most people will learn to play the game with because he doesn't have any special day-to-day -day powers. He is just a kind of standard generic middle-of-the-road CEO that you'll learn how to play the game before they give you more advanced CEOs with more complicated powers. So he's got no strengths, but he has no weaknesses, and his superpowers uh, enable you to repair his units. So very user-friendly, very first-time player-friendly CEO Andy, and I think his theme just captures the soul of Advance Wars and the essence of his character so well. Andy, a young, fresh out of commander school, eager to prove himself, a little naive, always optimistic, anime good boy. I think this just perfectly, perfectly captures uh, what he's all about and what Advance Wars is all about. I could have picked one of the 20, 25 different CO themes. I almost picked Jess's theme because I like Jess a lot, despite her despite her being kind of a worse CO in Advance Wars 2, but it's gotta, it's gotta be Andy, I think. My final pick before we get into listener responses is a song that I listen to so much. I love this song so much. It means a lot to me, and it's just such an epic piece of music. 
that might have ended a series had the game it's part of not been so successful. Of course, I'm talking about id purpose from Fire Emblem Awakening.
Id Purpose is an awesome track. It's an awesome song. It's one of my favorite songs. Any given time, it might be my number one. I love Fire Emblem as a series so much. It's another Intelligence Systems game that came over on the Game Boy Advance and shaped so much of my gaming tastes. So a little bit of background knowledge for people that don't know about the Fire Emblem series. Uh, Fire Emblem Awakening on the 3DS, or maybe it was just a regular DS, I don't remember. On one of the DS handheld systems, it was actually set to be the final Fire Emblem game. I'm not sure if it was in the entire series, but at least in North America, they weren't going to do anymore because before Awakening, Fire Emblem was kind of struggling in North America. The I know there's popular followings around the, the Wii and the GameCube one, Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, but you know when they shifted those games to the, to the main consoles, they didn't do as well. And so Awakening was really supposed to kind of be like this swan song for the series because they weren't going to make anymore. And what resulted was that the developers just went all out for this game and created incredible characters, memorable moments, uh, just really, really emotional through lines for the entire story. Uh, it really felt like you were getting to know these characters and had a lot invested in them. And, you know, Fire Emblem has always kind of been focused around like this idea of characters fighting together for the greater good. And that mechanic ties into the permadeath mechanic where if one of these characters dies and then they're they're gone forever. So it really adds this high stakes feel to the gameplay where you're being very careful with each of your movements you're being very meticulous with them because you don't want to lose a character that you've invested uh, time leveling up and emotional energy in learning their story and developing their relationships with other characters uh, the relationship aspect really was taken to the next level in awakening it, I, I think it, and that just made so many people love these characters and, and really added to the success of awakening in general id purpose is the the final theme for the final fight against uh, Grima, the shadow dragon or the, the fell dragon or whatever it's called, the big bad. Uh, this is the track that plays during this battle, the battle that decides the fate of the world of Krom, of Lucina, of Robin, of all these characters that you've traveled and fought with. Mechanically speaking, Awakening's not that incredibly balanced. You can cheese it pretty bad. I pretty much just put uh, Krom and Lucina together and just they, they will just bulldoze through the entire game. But... This track is just so powerful and is meant to be an homage to the end of Fire Emblem. The way this track starts off kind of silent with a little bit of like the accordions and then it just builds and builds and builds uh, until the chorus comes in and then halfway through the track, the chorus is singing this incredible reimagining of the Fire Emblem theme towards the end. It's just, it's so, so, so incredible. And you can just tell that they knew this was this was it. This was the end. And they're going to go out with everything. And you can feel that in the song. And I think that's so, so unique that the threat of this being the final game was so real that they thought that this was probably going to be the end. And this was the result of it. And you real, really, really feel that in id purpose. You really, really do. When you listen to it, having that background knowledge, it's absolutely incredible. It's my favorite Fire Emblem track. It's top five for any any single song in a video game ever. It's so 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 good and then afterwards the emotional payoff where you find out what happens with robin and crom and lucina what happens to that world it's so so incredible I, this uh you should play awakening awakening to me is a top three fire emblem game hands down i hope those select music tracks and the story behind a major morning commute a little more bearable i think all those songs are great i love them very much but now i've gotten to tell the stories of 
a couple of my favorite songs, it's time to dive into some listener responses. I put the call out on Instagram, on Twitter, and got a lot more than I thought I would. So without further ado, let's start diving in and see what all of you had to say about some of your favorite songs in video games. First off, going to go through the Instagram responses. First up from the List Off podcast, good friends of the show, Brian and Ryan, their response was BFG Division from Doom by Mick Gordon. added note with this response was no joke gets me pumped listen i will agree with you a hundred percent out of a hundred percent of the time i don't even know what i'm saying but uh there is no feeling like the music that plays in doom while you are slaying legions of hell monsters uh when you're in that flow state of just flying around the map shooting demons with this heavy metal music playing there is nothing like doom it is so 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 good and of course, BFG Division is a song that goes uh, absolutely hard. Uh, you could even say that it slaps, as the kids say. I'm not sure if that is a proper terminology or not. Uh, no cap. I'm sure I'm not using any of those phrases correctly. But uh, yes, BFG Division from Doom, list off, hands down. One of the best, most metal fucking pieces of music ever written, hands down. Uh, next, we have a response from Friday Night Gamecast, Nick and Will. Bury the Light from Devil May Cry 5. I have very little experience with the Devil May Cry franchise, but from what I looked up listening to this song and watching some of the gameplay, uh, is there anybody that does flashy high octane action combat like the Devil May Cry series? 
Uh, I don't think so. And this song goes pretty, pretty hard. I'm, I'm really happy that we got some uh, real like heavy songs here to start the listener request because my songs were tended to be like more traditional uh, orchestra or GBA style pieces. And I think this is awesome that we, we get some of this music right here. But uh, I think this song goes perfectly with the showdown between my understanding, the showdown between Virgil and Dante. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Again, don't have a lot of experience with the DMC franchise, but when I listened to this song, it matched perfectly with whatever I was watching. So, yeah, I don't think anybody does the action quite as good as DMC. And I know that DMC fans love, 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 love this franchise. So uh, looking forward to the next one if they if they continue this franchise, if not just for the music and the action, just to see what they put out. Next up, we have Kobe Moyer from the Switch It Up podcast. I knew as soon as I put this this question out that this would be coming. Uh, but Kobe basically threw the entire sync at me. And by sync, I mean the entire Final Fantasy VII remake soundtrack. Uh, he's mentioned specifically Ghoulish Symphony, Just Desserts, Happy Turtle Song, Airbuster, and Gigantipede. My man just finished playing through that integrate. But yeah, all of these tracks. songs together best I could to so you could at least hear little bits of them because uh, I understand 
how important Final Fantasy soundtracks can be to a person because my favorite soundtrack of all time is is probably Final Fantasy nine. When I heard this get announced. The remake, the seven remake, there were a lot of emotions. I was scared. I was skeptical, but I was also excited. One of the things I was excited for is I knew they were going to do the soundtrack right. Final Fantasy seven having an iconic soundtrack uh, in video games. No questions asked there. And I knew with Nobuo Uematsu involved that they would absolutely, it would be a home run out of the park. And it did not disappoint such clever, such incredible modern reimaginings, reinventings of classic Final Fantasy VII themes, seeing them alongside this bright, new, impressive looking world that they had built for us. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. Few people do it better than Square. For all of Square's shady business practices, for how some of their games might not have lived up to expectations recently. Final Fantasy 13, Final Fantasy 15. I still really like the soundtracks from both of those games. They're absolutely incredible. Final Fantasy 15 happens to have one of my favorite tracks ever, Apocalypsis Noctis. That soundtrack goes hard despite the fact that most of that game, for better or worse, does not go that hard. <laughs> but uh yeah. Few people do it better. Uematsu was involved. This one was a home run. Very easy, very easy. And uh, I appreciate him picking some of the lesser picked songs from the remake. It'd be really easy for anyone to say One Winged, one winged Angel or the battle theme. But these are all great. I mean, the Airbuster one's pretty popular. That's just the, the boss theme from 7. A really kick-ass version of the boss theme from 7. So I hope you listen to enjoying all those. One piece of this, and I, I maybe I don't know if a lot of people know about this. I'm sure some people do. If you're a hardcore Final Fantasy fan, I'm sure you probably do. If you've never gone and listened to the Black Mages, which is like Uematsu's contemporary rock slash metal band that plays Final Fantasy music, go and do it. They have a couple albums out where they have these awesome, awesome rock and roll like guitar themes of all of these incredible Final Fantasy tracks from like one through I think ten. They're doing it like the mid to late two thousands. Vamo al flamenco is a cover that the Black Mages did of of that song, and it's absolutely incredible. And they have a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of songs. So yeah, go check out the Black Mages if you like the Final Fantasy VII Remake soundtrack. They're absolutely incredible. Next up, we have the Video Game Lounge podcast. John, Andrew, and Kevin, and they wrote in the Last of Us main theme from The Last of Us. songs titles in video games that i would argue that when you hear the music you you just know me personally not having as much experience with the last of us franchise that a lot of other people do i have played the first one i have not played the second one but even i in my one single playthrough of the first last of us 
remember and recognize the incredible guitar theme from The Last of Us. And I think Last of Us does an incredible job of matching musical theme with gameplay and the guitar melodies by Gustavo Santaolalla. I'm sure I'm butchering his name. I apologize. You, you just you know this song. When, if you've heard it before, you've heard it once, you've only heard parts of it, you know this song when you hear it. And I think The Last of Us is one of the most unique soundtracks in gaming because it does use this very heavy like acoustic guitar style uh, in its soundtrack, uh, this being, and I think it, it matches the themes and the story this game is trying to tell, tell perfectly, a little bit more subdued than a lot of the loud orchestral soundtracks that I've included on some of my favorites. I think this one is more subtle in a way that complements this game better than a lot of other soundtracks complement their games. It's absolutely incredible. If you haven't listened to the last of a soundtrack, definitely go give it a listen. Next, we have Dave from Tales from the Backlog. Dave, thank you for writing in so much. And he picked the battle theme from Final Fantasy VI. What more do I have to say about this one? This is a classic, right? For many people, Final Fantasy VI is the definitive Final Fantasy. It is the best Final Fantasy. It is more iconic than seven, than 10, than a lot of the popular picks to be the iconic Final Fantasy. This ties into kind of what I was saying about Andy's theme, is that when you're writing music for a game, at least I assume, especially a game like Final Fantasy, the battle theme is probably the theme you're going to hear the most. So you, the challenge is to write a track that is exciting, intense, engaging, and that won't wear out its welcome after 10, 15, 20, 25 hours of, of playing it. And the battle theme from 6 is no different. I will never, ever get tired of hearing the battle theme from 6. It's so, so, so good. It has to be memorable. It has to be iconic. And Nubuo Uematsu, again, was a master at composing these themes. Fun fact about the battle theme from Final Fantasy VI uh, is that the bass line that plays when you start the random encounter for the battle theme is similar to the bass line that starts in Final Fantasy IX when you start that battle as well. Because Final Fantasy IX was an homage to the entire series, so Uematsu very cleverly picked out some themes from different Final Fantasies from across the years to include in the music that he was writing for Final Fantasy IX. The baseline from six being one of the things he incorporated to the, into the battle theme for nine. You can hear other themes throughout the track as well, but we'll cover those on another day. Awesome pick. That's a fantastic one. Next up, we have Emily and Kate from the Game of Groans podcast. Game of Groans, fantastic podcast. One of the most in-depth and comprehensive rewatching retellings of a series that I've ever listened to. Something that is unique in my library of podcast listenings. I don't normally listen to things that have to cover TV, movies, pop culture. I'm normally just sticking to what I know and listening to video games. But uh, Emily and Kate do a fantastic job of recap recapping Game of Thrones. I think I enjoy listening to that one every time it comes out. Their pick was Spring, The Valley Comes Alive from Stardew Valley. 
I'll be 100% honest, I don't have any experience with Stardew Valley. It is a game that I have heard so much about and how incredible that it is that I almost regret not having experienced it. But I do from time to time find my path crossing with Stardew Valley's soundtrack. And with those crossings with the soundtrack, every experience that I've had with it has always left me feeling warm, fuzzy, and comforted inside. And I think that's what a lot of people would say Stardew Valley is known for, is just for this really like nice, relaxing, rewarding, satisfying, incredible gameplay experience where you're doing farming, relationship building, all this kind of stuff. So I think that this song perfectly represents everything that Stardew Valley is about. And just listening to it this morning, I woke up with a little bit of anxiety and I listened to it this morning and I just, I felt comfortable. I felt that everything was going to be fine and that I could just have a nice relaxing morning. And I ended up doing that. And now I'm going nuts recording this episode. And I got to say, I really adore the use of the French accordion. I believe it's the French accordion at the start of this song. Uh, similarly to the way that they're kind of utilized at the start of id purpose. I think it's very cool. I like when lesser instruments are featured in songs or lesser used and lesser known instruments are featured in songs more. Uh, one of the trademarks of the Yoko Shimomura Kingdom Hearts soundtracks is that she very, very, very heavily uses the oboe and features the oboe in a lot of the songs, especially in Dream Drop Distance. The Dream Drop Distance soundtrack like pretty much features the oboe as the front and center instrument in for the entire thing i think it's absolutely fantastic and i love hearing some of these lesser lauded lesser praised instruments get the spotlight that they deserve so that's an excellent excellent pick next up we have josh from the still loading podcast and he picked liberi fatali from final fantasy 8 one and Final Fantasy is certainly getting its due here in this episode for sure. In my opinion, one of the most iconic opening songs in any video game ever, not just in Final Fantasy, but uh, in any video game ever. And at the time, in the late 90s when Final Fantasy came out, these opening cinematics were so incredible and then just to have this amazing track with this chanting choir in the background and capping it off with this incredible fight between, I almost said Leon, but I didn't, god damn you Kingdom Hearts, between Squall and Cypher, uh, it's so incredible, it's so epic. To this day, that intro sticks out of my mind when I think about Final Fantasy specifically. Like There are a lot of great ones, I think the intro to 7 is great, I think the intro to 9 is great. The Kingdom Hearts 1 intro, which absolutely bangs, but man, the intro to Final Fantasy 8 
with Liberate Fatale. I think that might be the most iconic piece of music from Final Fantasy VIII. Uh, it's so, so, so good. I would challenge you to come up with a better uh, song intro combo in video games. I don't think you could. It's just, it's so, so, so good. Final Fantasy VIII being one of the uh, lesser appreciated Final Fantasies, but I think it definitely deserves to be talked about. It doesn't deserve to be skipped over when talking about the PS1 era of Final Fantasies because I hear most everybody talk about 7 and then I talk about 9, but I think 8 is a really, really great title in its own right. So that is the end of the Instagram responses. Now we're shifting over to Twitter where we got a lot more. I was not expecting all of these responses. Absolutely crazy. But we have uh, one hour, one decision. The guys, Chris and Tom, who were just on the show. Thank you so much for writing in. And uh, this suggestion, I'm pretty sure this came from Chris because if I remember our conversation correctly, uh, he was a huge fan of this series. Uh, It is Lost in the Crypts from Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. There's only one thing I can say, it's that the ball is in your court, Ubisoft. We're waiting for the Prince of Persia remake. It's time to get off your asses, finish your pirate game, and figure it out. The people are waiting for this, because it's been a while since we've had a Prince of Persia game. Uh, I love this track, listening to it. I love the Middle Eastern-inspired style of the entire soundtrack, just because it's so different. I actually found a little bit of interesting lore piece from this, if the YouTube comments could be believed. This might come back to bite me in the butt later, but uh, there was somebody in the YouTube comment that talked at length about this track in particular, and I'll just read it here. Uh, The vocals are from Maharaj Khan Request. It's an Indian artist. The music is a blend of Indian vocals, sitar, and Middle Eastern music apparently based on the Turkish song Artik Sevmekhegim. So, yeah, I'm sure I butchered all of those. I'm so sorry I don't. I'm not familiar with any kind of Middle Eastern or Turkish dialect at all, but I found that interesting that they were able to elaborate on the origins and inspiration for this song. So uh, if you're interested, maybe go check check out those two specific things that the YouTube commenter shouted out in their comment. I think that's really, really cool. I love kind of hearing where the inspirations like these people don't just pull these songs out of their ass. There's obviously inspiration that comes from somewhere and to hear where some of the inspiration comes from, I think is really, really, really cool. Next up, we have friends of the show, Superpod Saga, Aaron and Tommy. Thank you guys so much for writing in. And their suggestion uh, for a track was Tokyo from Shin Megami Tensei 4.
unfortunately, this is another series that I have very, very little experience with. This is a, another blind spot in my gaming history that I assume I'll probably have to go back and cover uh, at some point in my life when I have enough free time. Uh, but listening to this song, this song is an absolute melodic jam. It reminded me of something that I would hear listening to just exploring the city of Tokyo. I don't know if that's exactly what happens, but I assume that's what you're doing. If this track is called Tokyo, maybe you'd be exploring the city of Tokyo. So it feels like such a melodic jam that you would listen to exploring that city in a video game sense or even in some kind of cinematic fashion. If there is a movie of a person walking through the streets, traversing the streets of Tokyo or a large city, this is the track I would expect to hear. Again, another track that I listened to this morning and just, you know, feeling a little bit anxious. And when I heard this track, it was just kind of such a such a peaceful like I was just sitting there eating, you know, my bowl of cereal and drinking my coffee and just listening to these tracks and getting some of my thoughts on paper. It was just so peaceful. This song made me feel it was, it was absolutely incredible. So awesome, awesome selection. Thank you very much. Uh, my next one is actually one that I have a little bit more experience with. It comes from Alejandro from a random gamers corner, and he picked God Shattering Star from Fire Emblem Three Houses. even say about this track uh, this track is my second favorite fire emblem track of all time behind id purpose it is my favorite track in three houses this song goes so hard i mean it's got the classically trained male opera singer with the chest voice it's got the incredible work of the string section the booming brass the thundering drums it's just the whole package is just so so incredible for the conclusion of the golden deer route which is my favorite route this this is the song to Conclude your journey with Claude and his class. And this being my favorite route and this being my favorite song from, from Three Houses just made for such, such an incredible ending. Uh, I won't talk too much about the ending, but it's, it's absolutely, absolutely spectacular. One of the more interesting videos that I came across and I've seen before, but I wanted to shout it out if you want to go and get a little bit more breakdown of this song is there's, there's a gentleman on YouTube called called Marco Meatballs. That is the name of his channel. And he used to be a he was uh, a classically trained male tenor opera singer until he transitioned in, into acting. And his voice is, is very incredible. It's very deep. It's a lot of he elaborates on a lot of the uh, the the chest singing and the the 
the style and the techniques used to get that kind of sound when when you're singing for opera. And he listened to this song. He does he does this series where he listens to video game music and, and songs like this. And uh, he did a very elaborate breakdown on the the male voice, the high tenor male voice uh, that is the opera singer, and how, and how difficult it is for. Uh, a man to sing in that chest voice in that range that uh, this gentleman in God Shattering Sar is able able to sing. It's it's a really really interesting breakdown, and I, I would highly recommend going to to listen to him kind of kind of talk about it. It's it's really really cool, and how he talks about the, the whole song is written about around the money note for the male tenor opera voice, which is that B flat note, and the how many times in the song that they kind of hit that note and the whole song is kind of written around that so awesome 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 suggestion i absolutely love this song it's so 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 fucking good this is if there's a style of song that i like most i like these big epic uh boss battle orchestral scored pieces with these choirs i think those are just absolutely the coolest thing ever so god shattering star is a song that i would put up against most other songs most other end themes in a video game, most other final boss fights. It's so, 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 so good. So good. Thank you, Alejandro. That's a fantastic pick. Next up, I have Rick and Ben from Pixel Project Radio. And I knew this one was going to be one of my favorite picks of the entire listener response. So um, Rick and Ben are educationally educated and trained uh, musicians that have very high degrees from their education. If you don't know, they host pixel project radio, go listen to it. It's a fantastic show. You should listen to any one of these shows that wrote in. I know most of these people and they all do fantastic work. So go and listen to any one of these shows that I've mentioned. They're absolutely fantastic. Uh, I knew that that Rick and Ben would give me a couple of, of great songs I never heard before. Uh, they suggested two to us. They suggested, they suggested I am Satan from Lisa Masorgsky. Pictures at an exhibition, The Hut on Fowl's Legs from Catherine. Again, which is the case when you have friends that have such a wide 
circle of video game interests, they're obviously gonna play things that you've never experienced before and suggest things that you've never experienced before. Uh, I've had tangential crossings with both Lisa and Catherine. So I know of these games, I know I've seen them played before, but I have not myself had the, the pleasure to play them. But when they suggested these, I knew when, when they suggest something and they tell you that it's worth listening to, uh, people that are expertly trained in the art of music, uh, I'm not going to disagree. And this was one of my favorite, favorite listener suggestions by far. Both of these pieces of music are, are so unique, uh, especially the I Am Satan from Lisa. Very, very unsettling kind of 8, 16-bit style. Uh, made me feel very uncomfortable. It was a very, very cool piece to hear. So uh, I wish I could comment on it more. I just haven't had much experience with the games. But these two pieces of music are absolutely incredible. If Rick and Ben say to go listen to them, you better go listen to them. And I'll leave it at that. Pause it, go to YouTube, find these two songs, and listen to them right now. Next up, we have Matt from the Culture Pop Podcasts. And his submission was Escape from the City from Sonic Adventures 2. What can I really say about this song? It is a masterpiece. There is no other song. I think it is probably the most important influential song in Sonic ever, ever written. Green Hill Zone, get that shit out of here. It is Escape from the City. It absolutely has to be. When I think about just the stunning musical achievement of our species, the human race, your Mozarts, your Bachs, your Tchaikovskys, your John Philip Seuss's, your John Williams, listen, they don't hold a candle. They don't come close to the musical masterpiece that is Escape from the City. Ugh, it's so good. I think my favorite comment was it has such a start of summer vibe to it, and I agree with that 100%. Uh, will the Sonic franchise ever again reach such fantastical heights? The peak of the series of Sonic, Escape from the City. I sure hope it does. I don't know if it ever will. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent submission, Matt. Thank you so much. I love that. That was absolutely fantastic. Next, we have Friday Night Gamecast on Twitter, doubling up. Excellent strategy, guys. I like it. What actually happened was uh, the submission from earlier was actually from Will, and Nick's submission uh, is this one that follows. It is Tip of the Spear from Halo Reach by Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore.
really love the Halo soundtracks. They're they're fantastic. They make the atmosphere of the game absolutely incredible. This one specifically from Halo Reach, I really, really like. And I don't know how popular of a take this is, but Halo Reach is one of my favorite Halos because I think it tells a really incredible story. It was very interesting for them to make Halo Reach because throughout the first three Halo games, even if you're not like digging into the lore of Halo, you know what happens to reach the human planet. It basically gets annihilated by the Covenant. They burn it to the ground. They kill everybody on it uh, who doesn't escape, including all the Spartans. So when you have a game set on Reach and your Spartans, you kind of have, and if you are a fan of this series, you kind of have this overarching sense of dread that you know how this ends. It does not end well. So this fight that you're fighting and these people that you're fighting beside uh, you know, the fight is futile and you're fighting a losing battle that you know you're going to lose uh, with your comrades in arms here. So I really like Reach a lot because I think while this might be difficult to pull off, you're just like, well, what's the point? Why should I care about these characters or anything? Knowing that, you know, the outcome is already determined. I think that Reach pulls this off very, very well. And tip of the spear, you can almost kind of hear the sense of foreboding, the sense of dread, this the impending disaster that is the fall of reach uh, within the typical halo themes the typical halo motifs so i really really like this one and it plays over an awesome cutscene. the whole army and warthogs and pelicans in, in planes racing across the plains to, to meet the covenant threat that have just landed on their planet uh it's so 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 cool and i don't know what the popular take on halo reaches but it's one of my it maybe behind halo 3 it, it's so good just because of the story it tells. And it nails this emotional story, this futile battle against all odds in a way that few video games ever have. Excellent pick. That's absolutely fantastic. Great, Nick. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Next up, we have Tim at Shady Ninja on Twitter. Ninja spelled with a one, of course. Uh, he suggested, or his pick was, Under the Progress from Parasite Eve by Yoko Shimomura. much of a huge fan I, as I am of Shimomura. I'm not familiar with a lot of her other work outside of Kingdom Hearts. I just think her Kingdom Hearts work is so, so large in her career arc. Uh, out Hearing things outside of Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy that she's done, I, I've not experienced that a lot. So getting to hear this was really cool. And Parasite Eve, another RPG that I wish I had played. Another blind spot in my back catalog of video games. But to hear this side of Shimomura, this more kind of 
synth electronic, quicker beats, kind of away from the more traditional orchestra scores that I know her for and what Kingdom Hearts is known for. That's what personally to me, what I know her for was really, really, really awesome. I think definitely go give this one a listen if you're interested in Shimomura. And I know that she worked on stuff. I believe she came over from Capcom, if I'm not mistaken. So I think she did some stuff over there as well. So getting to hear kind of where she came from to where she arrived at working for for Square, for Kingdom Hearts, and for Final Fantasy is is really, really cool. So I really, as a person that loves the Breath of Shimomura's work, getting to hear this other side of her, absolutely incredible. Tim, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Next up, we have Grand Rapidians play video games, Willie and Ginger, uh, only a state's throw away from where I am currently residing, uh, podcasters after my own heart, and they suggested the Penguin Wars Game Boy music. This is pure nostalgia, right? This is classic, vintage, quintessential 90s Game Boy chiptune music. And it is so, 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 so good. The composers that wrote all these songs for these Game Boy games and these chiptune eras and all stuff were really limited by the sound chips that were in the hardware. And I think that limitation caused a lot of them to think outside the box and create such incredible, memorable pieces of music during this era. That Game Boy music just had that sound, you know? It's just. Oh, something about it. It's it's so, so iconic. Also, funny thing about this is that in my 30 year, in my 31 years of living on this earth in the year 2022, year of our Lord, I had no idea what Penguin Wars was or that it was even a game that existed. In the last month alone, it has been mentioned to me four times. So I don't know if that's a sign that I should go and play Penguin Wars. <laughs> Maybe it is. Probably. I don't know. But Hearing this kind of itched a nostalgia part of my brain that I didn't even... I have nostalgia for a game that I've never even played, probably just because the music of that era with the Game Boy is just so, so synonymous with my childhood. So thank you guys so much for that pick. Absolutely incredible. Next, we have Adam and Kieran from The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog, my friends, gentlemen, brothers from across the pond on either direction. Thank you guys so much for writing in. And that suggestion was near automata, near automata. I never know how to say it. I've been butchering names lately, but near automata, a beautiful song.
again, everyone keeps telling me how great Nier is, and I, that I should go play it. I think this song just convinced me to bump it way up my backlog. I, even though I don't have any experience with this game, I don't know the story, I don't have any emotional attachment to any of the characters, I know a fucking iconic boss theme when I hear one. And like I said before, this is probably my favorite subgenre of video game music, this vocalized orchestral epic score of a boss fight. I, I love this so much. I love a big, sweeping, powerful boss fight music. It's so good. It's so intense. It's so intense. I think this one just got bumped way up my list. So Edwin Karen, thank you so much for writing in. Next, we have Mikey from the Big Drink Energy podcast who said, He'll fight. I don't know if he said he'd fight anybody, but uh, nobody can argue that it has to be uh, Gerudo Valley from the Ocarina of Time. Gerudo? Gerudo? Gif? Jif? I'm not exactly sure what the correct saying is, but it is that one from Ocarina of Time. song uh, as the kids say absolutely slaps it is a standout track on the standout soundtrack of zelda ocarina of time which just has an absolutely legendary soundtrack composed by koji kondo who uh to me alongside uematsu and a few others is one of the musical geniuses of our time writing so many iconic pieces of music that define so many of mine and our childhoods and you can't i mean it'd be hard pressed to find somebody in our generation our age group today that hasn't been uh, touched by the music of koji kondo i think you'd be really hard pressed even if they didn't know it he's an absolute legendary figure at nintendo and absolutely incredible uh, if you get the chance side note uh, i got to go and see the legend of zelda symphony of the goddess a few years ago in Chicago and see those songs performed by a live orchestra with a projector with scenes from the games being played in the background is absolutely incredible experience. If you have the chance to experience symphony of the goddess or distant worlds or the kingdom Hearts symphony or something like that, go and do it. It is an absolutely, absolutely incredible experience. I felt a little bit like an asshole because traditionally when you go see symphony, you're supposed to dress up. And I dressed up, I wore a nice shirt, a nice tie, a nice coat to go and see it. Everyone there was just dressed in Zelda stuff, so I felt kind of like an asshole. But uh, it's definitely worth going to, to see if you're able to see a symphony of some kind. It's so, 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 so good. Absolutely incredible. Next up, we have the brothers from the Elder Trolls podcast. And their pick was for Time Scar from Chrono Cross. Thank you. 
what it is if it's in the air, if it's just fall time, but there's been a lot of chrono talk the last couple months in the podcast circle. Uh, more specifically on Chrono Trigger rather than the sequel, Chrono Cross. So, I have not played Chrono Trigger and I know very little about Chrono Cross. Uh, other than the fact that Chrono Trigger is supposed to have a absolutely legendary soundtrack. And I've heard that the track, the soundtrack for Chrono Cross is held in similarly high regard. Listening to this song, absolutely incredible. Uh, this song goes hard. It starts off as a soft kind of melancholy and then shifts into high gear. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. It makes me, all this talk, all this music, all everything about Chrono, Trigger, and Cross is really made me want to go back and experience the, the series. Might just have to do that here relatively soon. Just jump on the Chrono bandwagon with everybody else and just do my own episode maybe. I don't know. But this is a great pick. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you writing into the show. Next up, from the Remember 64 podcast, we have Sticker Brush Symphony from Donkey Kong Country 2. talk about a series with legendary sound and music Donkey Kong Country is one of the best I put sticker brush symphony in with uh, aquatic ambiance from Donkey Kong Country 1 just this melodic such a peaceful piece of music for the levels that they're in absolutely incredible it's super zen super relaxing again this morning one of the pieces of music I listened to that really kind of put me in this relaxed state before I started doing a bunch of stuff before I started coming in front of this microphone and just yelling at everybody about music so many of the Donkey Kong Country songs and sounds live rent free in my head uh Simeon Segway Aquatic Ambiance this one Game Playing Galley just so many so many great songs from that franchise in particular it's so 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 good Last but certainly not least, we have Chris from the Retro Hangover podcast who, by his use and mastery of hip kid lingo, allowed him to sneak in actually two suggestions. So uh, keep up the excellent work using uh, the lingo of the youth, Chris. I think we'll be fitting in with them quite well in no time. How do you do, fellow young kids? But his first submission was Dancing Mad from Final Fantasy VI.
know One-Winged Angel gets most of the attention in the Final Fantasy pantheon of music, of boss fights, of just stuff. I don't know if there's any song in the series more synonymous with its villain than Dancing Mad is with Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. Four distinct phases that perfectly paint the picture of your epic struggle against Kefka, a villain who, in my opinion, is one of the few unrivaled villains, not only in Final Fantasy, but in video game history, a villain that is just so evil to the core and so sick in the head and so diabolical, poisoning the water. He achieves his goal halfway through the game, becomes a god, and just destroys everything. Everything. And there was no better theme written to match such a psychotic egomaniac than Dancing Mad. One of my favorite YouTube comments that I saw looking up the songs here, uh, they said that Uematsu composing this masterpiece, Dancing Mad, with the NES sound chip is like Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel with crayons. And I'd have to agree with that. This is a, such a complex piece of music that so perfectly captures the moment, the character, and the struggle. I think it's absolutely incredible. I have no doubt that Michelangelo probably could have painted the Sistine Chapel with crayons, but god damn, it would have been a lot harder. And for Uematsu to put out such an incredible song <laughs> with the limited power of the, the Super Nintendo sound chip, absolutely incredible. Great pick. Uh, Chris's second pick, and is the one that's going to round out uh, listener responses, is going to be the main table from Devil's Crush. I'll be honest, when I when I listened to this song, I was speechless. Why does pinball go this hard? <laughs> Why does it go this hard? It goes way harder than it has any right to, and it's absolutely incredible. I was just blown away. Again, this is in a similar vein to Penguin Wars. I've heard more about Devil Crush this year than I have in my entire life, so maybe that's a sign that I should go and play it. But goodness. Pinball, why? Why did they go this hard? Somebody was just like, hey, we're going to make the soundtrack to this absolutely banging. So, Chris, thank you so much for expanding my musical horizon into the world of virtual pinball. Absolutely incredible. That's going to do it for our listener responses. And for the first annual music festival jamboree presented by the Unlockables, maybe we'll do this again next year, but I really had a great time with this. I really enjoy getting to talk about some of my favorite pieces of music and the way they tie in emotionally and narratively to some of my favorite video game stories. And then I really enjoyed getting to look up and hear all the different pieces of music that were submitted by listeners, by friends of the show. It was really, really, really awesome. At the time of this recording, I had gotten down all of the listeners' suggestions 
if I missed you or if you had a submission come in late, I truly apologize. Uh, I'll do a special little shout out on Twitter if I can. I just had to get this episode recorded and it was starting to get a little lengthy, a little longer than my normal length episodes. But thank you to everybody that wrote in. Uh, if those people have shows, if they have content, go and find them on the, on the internet. Drop them, drop them likes, drop them supports. All these people are absolutely incredible people and they make absolutely great things. So go and do that for sure. Uh, as for me, this is the Unlockables podcast. My name is Eric. Hi, hello. You've already found the show. Congratulations. But this show is available on pretty much any podcatcher that you could imagine. So pick your favorite ones. Uh, I just happen to have a preference towards Spotify and Apple just because those are the two biggest ones. That's where most of my listens are. So if you could go and support the show, leave a like, leave a rating, leave a review. It would be uh, I would be eternally grateful to you. If you want to find and interact with the show, you can follow us at all the social medias. Uh, you can just go to linktr.ee forward slash unlockables podcast. That is our link tree and has the links to all the various social medias where you can get a hold of me, tweet at me, message me, say hi, hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I hope you're doing great too. Or you could yell at me for all of my stupid opinions. I don't know, but that is the easiest way to get in touch with me. All of those links and stuff will be linked in the show notes, uh, the description of the episode. So be on the lookout for those. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I hope that this collection of music was able to brighten your day a little bit. Music is something that I hold very close and near and dear to my heart. When it comes to video games, I absolutely love it. So I appreciate you tuning in as always. And until next time.